Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tiny Chernobyl podcast. Today my guest is Ken Gillette, a native of Illinois, USA, where he trains all three of the main internal arts, Tai Chi, Bagua and Xingyi. But it's Chen Tai Chi that's his favourite art, and he's trained under a large number of teachers, but most recently Chen Wei Shen from Chen Village and Nabil René, a disciple of Chen Yu. Ken is quite famous for his focus on body mechanics, internal power, and getting to the root of these arts in a non-mystical and no-nonsense way. In fact, he's written an excellent book that's available on Amazon. It's called Internal Body Mechanics for Tai Chi, Bagua and Xing Yi. I'd recommend you get a copy. Ken is serious about training internal arts as living, breathing, fighting arts, rather than historical curiosities, which should be put on a shelf somewhere and observed from a distance. But what I like most about Ken is his great attitude. There's no ego in Ken, he just wants to uncover the way these arts work and will train with anyone he thinks can teach him something valuable. So, let's get to it. Here's the man himself. Ken Gallette, hi, how are you? Fine, it's good to talk to you. Yeah, it's been a while since we we had our last talk. Um, I appeared on your podcast. Um, it was We were just talking about this. It was probably uh, about... Four years ago? I, it may have been three or four years. I've been doing that since 2014. And gosh, that's uh, it's amazing how time goes by so fast. Yeah. Um, I mean, doing a podcast is just one of the many things you do. You've got you've got your website as well, which is um, internalfightingarts.com, um, which is a, it's a teaching website, isn't it? Tell me about that. Uh, well, I started that in 2008. Um, I had a school, a bricks and mortar school for a while and just wasn't happy with it, you know, lost money all the time, but I had a really good job, so I didn't care. Um, and, but I didn't necessarily like uh, the feeling of having to water down things a little bit uh, and have people come in who I knew weren't serious, mm. but you had to have them in there so you could pay the bills. Yeah. But uh, so when uh, a job went south for me in 2008, uh, I found myself free. I thought, how about just putting it online and those who can benefit from it will. And those who are higher level or whatever, you know, they don't have to be part of it. And it's worked yeah. out pretty well. Yeah, I mean, with the whole pandemic thing going on, you were ahead of the curve because everyone has been trying to put their their kung fu school or their online course, you know, online. It's kind of funny. Um, when I started doing this, there are a lot of, you know, the Tai Chi world, a lot of people kind yeah. of held their noses up and said, oh, what, who does he think he is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tried to say, you know, guys, I'm just a teacher. I'm not saying I'm anything special by doing this. It's just because I was in radio and TV news, and have done video work since I was 13, I had the ability to do that. And instead of teaching down at the YMCA, I'm going to teach this way. Yeah. And so some of the people who were a little critical of me in 2008, when COVID hit, they started saying I was a visionary <laughs> because they had to go online. Yeah. And uh, But you know what I didn't do much of before... COVID hit was uh, Zoom. Mm -hmm. So I started doing um, 
Zoom live classes and one-on-one -on -one sessions with students. And uh, it, I've seen uh, people improve quite a bit with that method. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I've taught people, uh, friends of mine, just, just for fun, um, over Zoom, um, martial arts things. And you can, de I mean, the idea that you can't do that and doesn't work is just silly because you can see it works. It's, 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 it's not as good as being there with them, no. but it's not that far behind. Nothing can replace hands-on corrections and, and, and actually being able to work on applications with somebody and doing the push hands and, the, and sparring. Nothing can replace that. But, you know, in a pandemic when you can't meet with other people, you can still improve your movement, your mechanics, and uh, the principles. Yeah. And we still do. The, uh, the, the pandemic isn't quite over yet, but uh, the classes are still going. It's, it's a really, plus you make good friends. When I hold a Zoom class, I've got people on it from the U.S. to Sweden and Germany. And it's just fun to meet people and develop friendships. Yeah, exactly. And those and the people from Sweden and Germany aren't going to be making your local classes, are they? No. So. I've got one uh, guy, Oliver, who attends my classes from an island, I think it's pronounced Mauritius, in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Yeah, Mauritius. Now, how can... I mean, that's just mind-boggling to me. Yeah. It's wonderful. That's great, isn't it? Yeah, it really yeah. is. So I wanted to ask you about... Um, the things you teach, um, you've 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 very much spe specialized in Chinese martial arts as opposed to um, you know martial arts from Japan or or from elsewhere. What was it about the Chinese martial arts that really drew you in? Yeah, I started in uh, a style called Shaolin Do Karate. <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> I've heard of them. Oh yeah. And what you hear is correct. It's a horrible system, uh, mm. just the lowest of quality. But I didn't know that for a while. Uh, I started when I was 20, and the tales of this teacher were that uh, he could cut himself with a knife and not bleed. Um, that, that, sure. <laughs> that kind of thing, you know. And uh, I studied for a while in 1976, we were not allowed to go to outside tournaments, which is a big red flag right there, but we didn't know. It was the 70s. Um, so I went up to Columbus, Ohio, and I saw Kung Fu and other martial arts that just blew me away. But I wasn't really married to the idea of Chinese martial arts. I studied Taekwondo for a while and worked out for a couple of years with the Iowa State boxing team. I love boxing. Um, but the internal arts, when I found that, I just felt like I really found something I wanted to get into deeper. And I'm still at it. Yeah. What are the internal arts that you've studied then, or the ones that you enjoy the most? Uh, Chin Tai Chi, Chin style, is my favorite. It's, I consider that the foundation of what I do. Um, mm -hmm. I do Xing Yi, Xing Yi Chen and Bagua Zhang, and um, still study those arts. I'm trying to get better, and uh, Chen Tai Chi, I still study that, as well as teach. Oh, nice. 
Um, and I, I think you've you've done a lot of work with an actual Chen family member, haven't you, as well? Uh, yeah, I first met my, uh, you know, back when the internet was starting up and listservs were out there. Mike Sigmund and some fellows who were into Chen style had a listserv. And I was hearing terms I'd never heard before, like ground path and pung gem. I asked them on the listserv if there was a master near Chicago that I could go and study with. And they laughed at me, and I didn't quite know why, but I, <laughs> I found out that when you use the word master, uh, people, at least in America, who know something about the arts will laugh because there aren't very many masters. Hmm. So they guided me to Jim Krishamanya, uh, who wasn't a master. He called himself a hobbyist. And uh, I went up and met with him at his home in Rockford, Illinois. And within an hour, I'd been studying Yang style for over 10 years. Hmm. And I won a, a gold medal at the 1990 AAU Kung Fu Nationals doing the Yang 24 form. So you're a national champion. Yeah. So I thought, <laughs> I know Tai Chi. And yeah. I walked in with Jim and he showed me a few things on body mechanics. And in one hour, I drove home thinking, I've got to start over. Everything I've learned <laughs> is crap. It's all empty. <laughs> and so I did. I, and I started studying with Jim. And he and I are still good friends. In fact, he and I are studying with Nabil Rane now out of Germany. But. Jim introduced me to Chen Xiao Wang. He hosted him for workshops. Jim had a long history in martial arts, studied in the Feng Zicheng system, studied with the Zhang Xuxian out in San Francisco. And so from there, I, after Jim, I studied with Mark Wasson, who was very tight with Chen Xiaoxing and Chen Bing. So we hosted, I sponsored Xiaoxing uh, in his visit in 2006, and he spent a week in my home, which was pretty enlightening. Hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I've studied with several of them and then met Shen Hui Shen around 2013. I, I had a, a thrill studying with each of those people, but Hui Shen is my favorite. She's she speaks English and she's very nice and uh, really cares about the people who train with her. And I learned a lot of really good tips from her uh, and her husband, Michael Critton. What, what, what is it about the Chen style that uh, particularly fascinates you then? I like it because it's alive. The whole body is moving and twisting and spiraling mm. and, uh, and it's not, and they don't, worry about the woo-woo there's no <laughs> there's no woo-woo bs yeah i mean my god when i was studying young style i was told that to do silk reeling you imagine your chi spiraling through your body yeah mm. <laughs> now you can imagine all you want to and you're not going to have chi spiraling through your damn body 
Mm. So <laughs> it took me until uh, chin style to start realizing just how uh, people just focus on this uh, woo-woo stuff and, and they don't get it. So I, I meet people now and it's so much fun to just in a few minutes show a couple of things and have them push on you and uh, push on them and, and the light bulbs come on. Yeah. It doesn't take a lot. So the, the, the internal mechanics, as, as we'd say in the internal arts, I mean, you've, you've actually written a book about those, haven't you? So I've got up here on my shelf. Oh, yeah, thanks. Um, I did write a book because no, nothing had been written on that topic in this way. And I got a lot of grief from the William C.C. C. Chen crowd because I have his book, Tai Chi Body Mechanics, and I picked it up mm. one day and read it, and there wasn't a word about body mechanics in it. Yeah, I've noticed that about that book as well. <laughs> and so I wrote a review of it, even though it was a few, several years old at that time. But, oh man, I got flamed. I, I was really, I said, come on guys, it's just a review of a book. I'm not talking about anybody personally here. Yeah. Um, so uh, that, that was interesting. It's interesting, someone like Mike Sigmund, who opened my eyes to a lot of this stuff uh, before I met Jim Krishamanya, uh, people hated him because he told them that their Tai Chi was weak. Hmm. And it's like a religion. <laughs> Once you're invested emotionally, financially, um, or it's like politics these days. Nothing is going to change your mind. You can be hit with any evidence you want, uh, someone can bring, and that's not going to change your mind. But um, some people, though, do see it. And I've always tried to be open, and my arts have evolved because of that. Yeah, but you've been quite... Um, vocal or, or active about um, getting rid of the sort of woo-woo nonsense out of internal arts, haven't you? Didn't you issue a challenge once? Oh, yeah, it's still going. <laughs> I just don't talk about it. But every now and then, I think of three or four weeks ago, I challenged somebody because you see these, uh, let's, let's call them what they are, they're con artists. They knock people down without touching them. Or they barely touch a person's hand and the guy goes hopping and bouncing away. And that just, uh, they try to say this is Tai Chi and it's not. It's fantasy. And so since about the year, I don't know, 1999, I've been uh, railing against these guys. No one's mm. ever taken me up on my challenge though, ironically. I tell people, uh, you know, if, if you'll travel here, we'll sign documents. And if you come here and you do to me what you're doing on this video, I'll pay your airfare. I'll pay your hotel and food. And I'll give you $5,000 on top of that. And if I have to travel to you, then you'll reimburse me for my travel expenses if you fail. Well, nobody seems to want to do that. No, strange that, isn't it? Yeah. 
So when I started studying chin style and the body mechanics were so different, I just tried to organize them so that I could uh, not only understand them better myself, but teach them to my students. And uh, so I kind of separated out uh, the main body mechanics you need to know at first into uh, ground path, pung jin, whole body movement, uh, dantian rotation, opening, closing the quad, and silk reeling. And those six things I try to focus on early with students so that they at least have a road map of the beginning of, of internal body mechanics. Yeah, that's that's not, and that's those are the things that your book covers from my memory. Yes, um, which I think is correct. Uh, it's it's sort of like you, you take each each of those things as a topic and provide examples of how to do it with photo illustrations. Yeah, now a um, lot of people have different ways of teaching, and I get frustrated when I study with people who don't get into the mechanics at all. They just say, you know shift your weight to the left, you know, raise your arm, take a step. Well, there, I guess some people teach in a very, very simple way at first, but I get suspicious that they don't know the mechanics either. And a lot of people don't. But I think I'm not, I'm not a, a master. I don't even consider myself a great martial artist, but at least I know what I'm working on. Mm. And, I'll, and I'll show people what they should be working on. And, but, but it's frustrating. I think it's also true you can be a great master and not a very good teacher. Oh, definitely. Teaching is a different skill, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, I've, I've got a, a harder question for you here. Um, I, I, think, I think identifying the fact that the Chen style people tend to have a much more pragmatic um, and, what's the word, uh, reproducible way of teaching um, involving actual movements rather than vague theories of chi and, and stuff. But I think it's also true at the same time there's not many people called Chen who are actively fighting with their art yeah, these days. and I have a problem with that too. I believe that someone has to do that sooner or later and it, I, if this I'm 68 years old I'll be 69 in three months there's no way I can do it but man if it was 40 years ago I would or 30 I was in the tough man contest full contact when I was 38 yeah um, why why they don't do that I don't know it may be because it's too risky because if they get <laughs> defeated, and they they lose a lot of face. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a hard topic, isn't it? Because I've seen them make grown men cry in the blink of an eye. Yeah. But it's different when people are resisting. Now, Chen, uh, yes. Chen Zicheng would go around... Uh, the world doing push hands workshops and he would take people on there are a lot of videos of him you know students he would say who wants to try and they would get up and they would try to 
tried to actually do something with him, and he handled almost everybody pretty easily. So why not take on Zhu Zhadong? Well, the well, one one thing I notice about those those situations are situations where he's the teacher in a workshop and people have paid to come, and it's a bit like the old magic show hypnosis trick yes those people are they're already in the mindset of you are the master i am the student so the the fact that they would make such an uncomfortable situation arise where he didn't look like he was absolutely dominating um it, it it's psychologically hard to resist in those sort of situations yeah, I mean, uh, there is definitely there. There probably is something like that going on. Even even the guys who say no, I was really trying. Yeah, but it, wouldn't it be great if if somebody called Chen was actually young and fighting, and and we could all just go look? There you go. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but there isn't, and um, and I think we have to acknowledge the fact that there isn't really. Yeah, um, I think and, there's and a Zuja. Zhu Zhaodong is still going around challenging these people that say they can fight when it turns out that they've never actually sparred a day in their life. Um, and in a way, I think he's kind of doing a public service. Um, but equally, it's, it, there's obviously a lot of value in Chinese martial arts that perhaps will now be ignored because of this situation that's transpired. Yeah, it's... I sometimes get a little frustrated hearing guys talking about real fighting and how you have to be prepared for real fighting. And yeah, and that was my attitude for a long time, um, which is why I did the tough man contest. I wanted to test myself, uh, not in a light contact situation in a full contact, but um, to be honest with you, I hadn't been in a street fight it was it was 50 years ago about a month ago i was in my last fight <laughs> so i've managed to live another 50 years and and not get into another fight so the people who are constantly it, it, to me it's like the guys i talked to and i talked to one last week in america who are obsessed with carrying their guns with them at all times. They have a gun on their body and they know by God, they're ready to kill somebody if they have to. And I think, where does that mentality come from? What are you really going to shoot somebody? I know. Have they considered the implications of that? You know, (laughs) Uh, the implications are massive, especially for your own liability. If someone turns their back on you and is running away and you shoot them, even if they have attacked you, you may be going to prison. And the same is true with martial arts, the fighting arts. If someone comes up and hits you hard in the face, you knock them down, they're not a threat at that moment, and you start kicking the crap out of them, you're liable to go to jail or to be sued and to lose your job. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. That's the... Yeah, and what happens to your family and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, my idea also is I, I've i never been attacked by an MMA guy or a Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter. 
I don't think the good ones are out there looking for fights. <laughs> Hopefully not, no. <laughs> <laughs> the guy I have to worry about is someone with an anger problem or maybe mental illness. And I don't think they're going to be very well trained and certainly not as trained as I am. And I, but I do think a lot of people make good points that sparring with a little bit of reality to it is important because to spar with people and to be prepared for the uh, guy who's not cooperating, who's really trying to hit you or kick you or get you into a lock, to be able to defend yourself and be clear-headed during that moment takes a little practice. So people who are practicing that are going to be okay, I believe, if their skills, if they have any fighting skills at all. I was in so many fights growing up. I was defending myself against bullies all the time and won every fight that wasn't a draw. So I could fight before I started martial arts, but it takes an, the mindset the heart of a fighter uh, as much as much as it does skill if you don't if you can you can train martial arts a long time but if you're uh, if you don't have the heart for it it's not going to help that much i'll tell you a funny story that happened mm -hmm. not funny but a cousin of mine and i was about 15 we went to a movie theater in nicholasville kentucky a small town and we walked out of the theater and we had to walk about a mile home. We were surrounded by some bullies that were in the theater. And there must have been six of them. And they surrounded us, my cousin and I. And one of them had a big stick in his hands. And he stood in front of me and he was holding it up. And I thought, I can take that stick out of his hands. And whoosh, I grabbed it, pulled it, got it, and they went running. The whole group of them went running, screaming. <laughs> and so uh, I wrote a blog post about this a few weeks ago because I remembered it. And I thought, we are conditioned to comply. And when someone is threatening us, we have the tendency to say, to think, well, if I just do what he says, or if I just, I can't hit him because he'll just get mad and hurt me. You have to actually just take action if you're being threatened. Mm. And so that story of grabbing the stick, and now I was the one with the power in the blink of an eye just for taking action is an important lesson in self-defense, I think. You can train for years, but if you don't know when to use it and don't have the mindset to use it, it's not that good. I don't think. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think I think ninety percent of of real world self defense training should be psychology. Um, in in the way that you know you, you took action and uh, somehow got one up on the situation. And everything just flipped. Yeah, I mean that's 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 a skill in itself, isn't it? Yeah, and as you get older, I've been in situations where I've diffused what could have become violence, 
one story was I was at a, on the second row of a James Taylor concert. Oh, no, notorious violent hotspot. <laughs> really? Seriously? <laughs> and these drunk guys were behind us yelling at us, singing at the top of their lungs, out of key, as James Taylor was performing. And finally, I turned and I said, I paid really good prices for these tickets, and I'd really like to hear him instead of you. And one of them turned to me and said, the three of us can take you on. And I looked over at my wife, and she looked at me, and we both kind of smiled. And I turned back, and one of my people sitting near me looked, leaned over and said, thank you. And I sat there, and they, they were insulting me here and there behind my back, the three guys. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, now I could take the loudest mouth one out if they came up to me after this, but let's just try to defuse it. And I sat there and I didn't react to their few insults coming at me. And after the show, I think they were drunk enough. They didn't bother me. Just went their way. We went our way. So it's, I could have been triggered by their insults and turned around and said something else and, and escalated it, but you know, I, I tried to be assertive enough to say, "Hey, would you hold it down?" And uh, but still not escalated into a fight. Another thing I wanted to ask you: talking about your blog post, you wrote a blog post recently about um, almost fifty. Was it almost fifty years in martial arts? Um, yes, forty-eight years. Uh, forty-eight years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you wrote some quite interesting things in that blog post. Do you want to just talk about that for a second? Um, I visited a cousin of mine recently who's an artist in Lexington, Kentucky, and she's her name's Constance Grayson. And she held up a piece she was working on for an exhibit. And she said it was inspired by the Vietnamese proverb, there is no road to happiness. Happiness is the road. And nice. as soon as she said that, that struck a chord. Um, and I realized, thinking about it, that that's where I'm at in my martial arts. You know, when we get started, we think, oh, I want to be a master. I want to I know everything. And as I've gone on in my journey for the last 48 years, I'm excited now by learning a new aspect of this movement or a better way to do these body mechanics and new applications for this movement. Um, and so that journey, I think we, I don't know, what if, what if we did master something? seems like the, the thrill would be out of it a little bit. And I, so it's the, it's the learning, the constant learning that excites me. And when I go in somewhere and feel like I'm a, a beginner, that's kind of exciting. I started studying, uh, I mentioned Nabil earlier, but uh, I was always curious about the Beijing line of Chen style Tai Chi the line that went from Chen Faika to Chen Chaokui to Chen Yu. And they had other students in, around 
two, but um, Nabil Rane teaches that line. He's a disciple of Chen Yu. And so I started studying with him after I did a podcast interview with him and, and uh, am fascinated by, by the way they do Chen style and the detail of his instruction. Also, he's just a really good human being. Can you tell us what, what the differences are? It's a little bit difficult to answer. And I've only been getting the feel for this branch of Chen style Tai Chi for a little over a year. The differences almost have to be shown. But if you've studied Laozi Yulu as practiced in the Chen village, you'll probably see pretty quickly that Nabil and Chen Yu look different. Everybody looks different in a way. Everybody puts their own stylistic flourishes on the art. But to put it simply, it's a difference in body method. Things like the way you shift your weight, different types of connections, Dantian rotation, opening and closing the chest and back, the elbow-knee connection. There's a detail in the instruction of body mechanics that really appeals to me. But both the Chen Village and the Beijing version appeal to me. So, you know, the people I've learned from, from the Chen Village, seem like Olympic or professional athletes to me. And I still think one of the most beautiful examples of Tai Chi I've ever seen was Chen Xiao Wang's demo in Houston back in 1988. That was his first visit to the U.S. And when you watch him move, the way he flows, the openings and closings, the softness and the power, it was amazing. And that video is on YouTube. Search for something like Chen Xiao Wang, Houston, 1988. But there are some folks who want to pit the Chen Yu Tai Chi versus the Chen Village Tai Chi, and they can be quite critical, but I heard a saying that made sense to me. Chen Tai Chi from these different instructors is the same as tasting different dishes at the same great restaurant. So I'm still absorbing the differences and learning the differences, but, uh, you know, it's, it's Chen Tai Chi. I don't really think I'm even qualified to speak very well on the Chen Yu style. But I can say that I really like it. And I like Nabil as a teacher. That's the advantage, isn't it? Of, um, it it's the different perspectives, I think, that are really valuable. Um, in martial arts. If you only have one teacher, then you only ever get that one perspective on anything. Yeah, and no, Chen Hui Shen uh, lives in Kansas City, and um, I believe that a lot more people should be booking her for workshops than do, although COVID has really messed that up. But, yeah. but you've got Americans who wait to study with one of the male Tai Chi family members, and you have this uh, Jim over here in Kansas City uh, and with all that good information. Hmm. So people do get a little bit tribal in their martial arts. And then they, then they go on the internet and have big arguments with each other about <laughs> who's, uh, who's doing it right. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean yeah, you've got a couple of people that they will put a video up of someone and then just pick them apart. And I think, you know why? I never spend one moment worrying about someone else's skill. 
Mm. The only time I'll call them out is if they pretend they can do supernatural feats and they call it Tai Chi. You know, that, that to me is an insult to all of us. But, you know, if they aren't as good as I am, or I'm not going to say, oh, you're doing this wrong. And one of the people who is famous for doing that started in on me one day. I just, I just blocked him. Just block them. They don't need to see what you do. <laughs> you can you can waste hours of your life getting involved in this. Uh, oh, you really can, nonsense, can't you? Yeah, yeah. People will argue argue for days over. These. <laughs> I'll come back two days later and look, and the argument's still going. I think, come on, don't you have a, other things to do in your life? Yeah, I don't. I don't. And I mean. You can't be doing that much training yourself if you're dedicating, you know, all that time to yeah to having massive online feuds of people. Well, it's a lot easier to criticize about others than to improve your own skills. Yeah, certainly is. You've also, uh, you know, had had that serious um, health issue of your lung. Um, did you find that Tai Chi helped you uh, recover from that? Um, well, it's hard to say. Um, I had um, atrial fibrillation. I was diagnosed in 2008. Actually, diagnosed a week before I started my online school. Um, and that's when your heart beats in uh, very weird patterns. And one of the, uh, the atrium, left atrium, will will flutter at times instead of beating mm. and so blood can pool in that part of the heart and when it begins beating normally again a few minutes or whatever time later uh, you can throw a blood clot so it's one of the leading risks of stroke atrial fibrillation and it's pretty common in people as they get older especially men I guess but they diagnose it they went they did three different procedures where they go in and they go into your groin, snake a laser up a radio frequency device up into your heart, and they burn the spots in the heart so that it stops those electrical pathways. And it didn't work, and the last time it shut down my pulmonary veins leading from my left lung to my heart, so Basically, I've had one long since 2009. And yes, it, it's had a big impact on my life and on my training. I can't go nearly as hard as I could. Hmm. Can't go as long as I could. And uh, I have to stop and breathe occasionally. So, yeah, it, it's a bummer. It's part of getting older. Something gets us all in the end. But I went into Cleveland Clinic and they tried to find out why I was coughing up blood all the time. <laughs> And they went up and they tried to stent the vein. They found it was closed, the pulmonary vein. They tried to stent it and they tore the vein off and then pierced my heart with the wire. Ooh. So Ow. I was in intensive care on a ventilator for almost two weeks. Everybody thought I was going to die. My wife would leave the room and cry. And, and I was on drugs so that I wouldn't gag the uh, ventilator. God, 
they put a ventilator in me. I guess I was just gagging it out uh, mm. until they got me loopy enough. But I, I was laying there for two weeks thinking about a tournament coming up in six months. <laughs> and I wasn't worried one moment about dying. I mean, I just wasn't worried about it at all. I didn't want to go. I wasn't ready. But uh, I wasn't worried about it. So I gradually recovered and came home and you know, I'll never have the breathing capacity. My sparring days are pretty much over as far as any competition kind of thing. But, uh, but yeah, still hanging in there as much as I can. Yeah, I, don't, I guess it's, you must be able to credit your Tai Chi practice to. I, you know, I credit the Tai Chi and I credit uh, cross training. Because, you know, there are a lot of people who still have the idea that Tai Chi is all you need. Well, man, not if you want to live long. No. Uh, you know, weight training is crucial, for, especially as you're getting older. Because if you stop lifting weights, your muscle declines, the fat continues to grow, your metabolism slows, because the more muscle you have, the more energy you burn at rest. So if you don't have muscle, you just, it becomes a cycle and you get fatter and fatter as you get older and out of shape. So the doctors told me when I was about to leave Cleveland Clinic, they said the only reason you survived was the physical condition you were in. Uh, and it, that's because not only of martial arts and, and Tai Chi, but Jingyi, Bagua, weightlifting, running, jumping rope, all of that, is part of it. Me too. I, I I really love Tai Chi, but I also appreciate when I do some Shingi links and forms and things that I'm getting out of breath and I'm not getting out of breath doing Tai Chi. Um, yeah. And it's, 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 it's like the yin and yang together. You can't, you can't only just do the yin. Um, you need a bit of that, something that makes your heart beat faster, you know, and makes you get a sweat. Some guys used to say, well, if you practice the Tai Chi form for 10 years, you'll be able to fight. The what? <laughs> you <can't>, By magic. <laughs> you can't fight unless you fight. Yeah, exactly. You can't, you can't learn to fight unless... And, and I think you made that point about how, you know, you learn. Um, you look back at videos you did years ago and you see the mistakes you were making, but you learn by getting down there and going at it with people. Um, so you do the same thing in other martial arts, boxing. You can't think about it. <laughs> you can't shadow box and then think you can handle a, an opponent. Yeah, absolutely. It might help, might help your technique. But what was it Mike Tyson said? Everybody has a plan until you're punched in the face. It's very true. We, we were talking about that today, actually, in, uh, in jiu-jitsu. Um, about what you know is one of those uh, situations where somebody's showing a technique and, and someone else is going, yeah, but what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if this happens? And after after about three what ifs, we kind of just said, look, no plan survives contact with the enemy. <laughs> That's and right. Everyone, everyone has a plan until they're punched in the face. So like it doesn't at this point it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. People ask me things like, and you may get it too. Well, 
you do three arts, what what would you respond with if you were attacked? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a silly question. Yes, I, I would. I would uh, from from the category of shingi, I would select these four techniques. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the one thing that uh, I've focused on for the last few years is is completely getting out of the mindset of if this happens, you do this, and getting into the mindset of flowing with whatever is happening. Um, yeah, and and that's what where push hands can come into. Can be very handy if you do push hands with mm. someone and you and you are doing applications with it and sweeps and takedowns and everything then you try to learn just to relax and flow and what is he doing here what can you do with that and he's trying to sweep you how do you take him down oh, that's fascinating to me yeah yeah, any any exercise where you're dealing with another person and they're providing you with like physical feedback, um, you know, the push hands really fits into that yeah. sort of uh, type of thing. But but it so many martial arts have those things. They aren't push hands, but they are. Um, they're in the same for me. They're in the same ballpark. I was watching a video yesterday that was fascinating to me, and it was uh, capoeira. Which, you know, you'd think that was about as far away from push hands as you could get. But they, the way they play capoeira, when they're, they're doing the, 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 I think it's called the jinga, the sort of dance where they interplay. But the interplay of the two people, it's, although there's no physical contact, they, they, one person sort of with their body asks a question, the other person has an answer, and then the other person answers that question. That's And it's flying left and right. But it just looked, I mean, to me, it just looks like, uh, although not, although all the principles of movement are different to Tai Chi, it was like a push-hands conversation being enacted. That's wonderful. I, I really would study every martial art if I could. Capoeira, I saw somebody demonstrate it, and I thought it was fascinating. But uh, mm. jiu-jitsu, you know, if I wasn't 68 and a bit more fragile than I used <laughs> to be, I'd be getting on the mat. Yeah, so much fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm so glad I got, I got into jiu-jitsu while I was young enough, you know. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, I, now I go, I go to class now and I just have so much fun um, with, you know, people trying, they're trying to kill you. Um, <laughs> If you don't tap, you would go unconscious or, or an arm would break. But obviously you just tap before anything bad happens and you're fine. Um, and the the amount of fun you can have um, doing that with another person is just amazing. Yeah. Um, so go on. How do you find the injuries? Um, do you know what? I've, you, you, it, I was thinking the other day, it's rare to find a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu who hasn't had surgery. Mm. Um, I certainly have had surgery. Um, I got a I got a headbutt in the face by accident. Um, but the guy was wearing one of those rugby skull cap things. Um, they have little sort of nodules on them. Yeah. And people don't normally wear those in jiu-jitsu. The idea is it covers your ears so you don't get the cauliflower ear. But it, this one covered the whole head. And it, I think it just made him a little bit more headbutty than than somebody normally would be and i just happened to 
you know, be going down as he sat up and his head hit my face. And uh, one of the little things on his skull cap um, just went straight into my eyeball. Oh, no. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's as bad as it sounds. And it, it compressed the eyeball so much that it blew out the orbital floor beneath it, um, which is a very thin, it's made up of several different bones fused together but it's it's almost paper thin and it's designed to blow if something goes into your eyeball um mm. yeah so then i had to get surgery to get that so that i've got like a, a titanium mesh under the eyeball now oh you wow. can't tell it, it it it's 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 impossible to tell from looking Good. at me um and it doesn't and it doesn't i don't feel it or notice it so you still have your vision and everything yeah, when it when it happens, you get double vision because your eye can't look up as as well because it cat the mus the muscles that yeah. turn your eyeball upwards catch because it they're stuck in the 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 big empty gap underneath it. Yeah, <laughs> um, wow. but once you get it corrected, it, it just restores everything and um, yeah, there's no damage to the eye itself. What? So I mean, that's good. I'm glad you're. But. But damn, that hurt. <laughs> you know, I it's like being some... hit, hit in the face by a train. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, the last time I got hit really hard was several years ago in my school when an old student came by. A real nice guy. Big guy. I mean, big guy. And we started sparring, and I came in on him just as he was throwing a punch. And I, it was yeah. like hitting a freight train. Uh, it's so much worse when you going forward as they're going forward as well, and you both collide. Oh yeah, and he hit me right and square in the face, and uh, I learned that night again. I, I've learned it before, but I can take a punch, <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of jolted, stopped, shook my head, and we kept going. But oh man, you know I I hear occasionally people say. Well, if you're gonna learn, if you're gonna be able to fight, you have to, you have to get in there and fight and have contact. And well, you know, a little contact occasionally is a good thing. But I tell you, CTE is real. Yeah. And at least you don't get that in jiu-jitsu normally because there's no punching. Right. Yeah. That that's a good advantage. To yeah, it. I mean, I one of the one of the motivational factors for me taking up jiu-jitsu i think was i was just fed up of being punched in the head yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> i've had enough of that like I, I, I don't fancy that anymore but let's do something about punches right um, and then you... but like but you were just saying about the the injuries let me just uh like return to that one i i definitely i haven't apart from that one big injury i very rarely get injured at all huh. and i think a lot of it is it depends how you roll like if you go into a role with someone who's 20 in a purple belt and physically big and you try and lay it on them, things aren't going to turn out well for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's, so a lot of it is about your attitude to the the, the training. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I tend to go into everything with a, a competitive, but a bit of a laid back attitude. Like I'm quite easygoing. Uh -huh. Um, if somebody has my arm in a position where it's going to break, I don't try and fight my way out of it. I just tap like it. That's your, that's my choice. You know, like someone who's 20 years old and a bit crazy 
would probably try and fight their way out of that. And they might get out, but they're going to regret it for the next three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> as as all their tendons ache, you know. And, uh, you know, but it, a lot of that is, is how you handle the training yourself, you know, your own your own mindset, Yeah, I think. I think the last time I had a cracked rib, I was just doing some regular sparring, uh, getting ready for tournaments with some guy at another school, a young guy who had no control, and he got a yeah. sidekick in that, uh, I mean, it put me out of action for, I think I missed the tournament because of that. It's, it's a tricky thing to do too much contact on a regular basis. But. Yeah, those th- those sort of guys in jiu-jitsu, they tend to be like beginning white belts who've got no control. and They, they, they don't know the amount of force they're putting into anything. They, they've got no measure. Um, and they don't know what they're doing, so they panic. Yeah. Like uh, There are parts of jiu-jitsu where you're being suffocated and crushed and the, the lights are going out and you, people just do the strangest things. You know, they'll, they'll just thrash out uncontrollably yeah. sometimes and huh. a lot of it is man- managing how you you do like I, I to be honest I'm, I'm i'm not that old yet i'm still like i'm 50 so for 50 is the new 40 right yeah so i, I still <laughs> i, I still I, 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 yeah i will still take on all the white belts at, at School. I don't like avoid them, but I can I can imagine in say ten years time I will probably avoid them, because they they can be the they're the dangerous ones. Yeah. You know? Well, um, I'm not quite there yet. But <laughs> I, I, I can I can see it on the horizon. <laughs> I uh, you know sometimes I'll be thinking of of something and I'll tell my wife you know Nancy help me out with this application and she'll jump up okay. <laughs> But I have to be careful because she, she has no control. You know, get, yeah, get me so in she this really puts it on you. now. Be careful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. When, when you're in the lock, it doesn't take much force to snap something, does it? No. It, <laughs> I like um, looking at how silk reeling can be used to escape from different holds and locks. It's but, you know, you're not on the ground, you're not on your back, but uh, yeah, I think spiraling that, is really sta- standing up when you're standing up, the spiraling out of wrist locks is a, a genuine, useful skill. What I find with people that then try and do that on the ground, <laughs> quite often they've come from Aikido or they've come from Sistema or something a bit like that, where there's a lot of spiraling out of things or Tai Chi you put them on the ground and they, they, they want to do the same thing. But when you're on the ground, you're pinned. Yep. Like somebody can pin you. If you can't move and you try all this spiraling stuff, that's, things just break. That's the, re- <laughs> that's the reason cops put you on the car, put you on the hood of the car or up against a wall. Exactly. It's impossible to handcuff somebody standing if they don't want you to handcuff them. Yeah. If there's only two of you, like if, if it's you and them. If you put them on the ground, you put your weight on them, they can't move. Then you can handcuff them. Yeah. That works. And it's the same thing with locks. Like when you're on the ground, you, you've really got to be careful about this attitude of, I can spiral out of anything because like you really can't. <laughs> no, no. And even, you know, even if you're standing, you have to develop enough awareness and sensitivity that you know they're about to put you in a lock and you better get out of it before they do. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's someone like you who knows what they're doing when we're talking about spiraling out of wrist locks. Yeah, because, I have you know, a yeah. student who's 300 pounds, really nice guy okay. and, and strong. And so I work, I love working with him because if something works on him, it's going to work on almost anybody. But yeah. It also educates you really quick on, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of BS out there. And when, when we practice Bagua and try to translate Bagua into fighting with the, the twists and the turns and the wraps around the joints and the takedowns, you have mm. someone who isn't cooperating as someone who's nice and big. Mm. Man, there is a lot of ineffectual stuff. <laughs> yeah so do you know what it's uh, talk about big people what i always find is it, height isn't the thing at all it's weight yeah like it, it weight weight you can't fake weight you know yeah. <laughs> it it, re- it really makes a huge difference uh height you can adjust for i find um and length you know you can get further away you can get nearer you know those are all variables but weight you it's, it's just heavy. You yeah. know? <laughs> I'm, I'm a real proponent of uh, resisting. You know, we will practice certain joint locks and chinna and different ways of different applications. And then we'll say, okay, don't cooperate. And then yeah, we work on it and see if yeah. it works, see if you can use a different angle, see what you need to do. But a lot of techniques you actually need to set your opponent up and strike when it's the right time instead of thinking you're going to get them in that technique it's all situational yes and and also i find that's where the strategy of tai chi comes in it's not a grappling art and it's not a striking art it's a grappling and a striking art together so when you try and lock someone and they resist there's normally a strike that they're now open for yeah. because they've resisted hard against a lock. And then when they go and try and move to avoid the strike, there's a lock and it's, it's, it's a, it's a martial art where you have to flow between the two. That's what I found anyway yeah. in application. And I found a lot of the competitions don't allow for that. They like, if they're a push hands competition, there's no locks anyway, but there's no, there's also no strikes, but there's, yeah. It, 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 there's something in Tai Chi that's that's the combination of of locking and striking and throwing and grappling and kicking all, all together that makes it work. And I've never seen a competition format that really covers that. Yeah. Uh, tai Chi is best when someone comes up and puts their hands on me trying to take me down or mm. manhandle me. Because that's when I can use the empty and the, you know, just, and the blue and just all the, all the, what they call energies are actually just methods of dealing with force coming in. But, mm. but anyone can punch and kick. So it's, Tai Chi is useless when someone's three feet away from you. That's not really Tai Chi. That's a kick. Mm. Um, in my opinion, I, I look at the three arts I do if someone's standing four feet in front of me and threatening my life, that's when I would use shingi. I would try to drive through them and take their ground and knock their head off their shoulders. Uh, if they got up closer, you know, 
then Bagua might come into play. But when they put their hands on me, that's when I would try to uh, do Tai Chi. Hmm. That's when we work on, uh, okay, someone puts their hands on you and they start using their force. Which way is their center turning? If you can develop the ability to read where that's turning, you have a big advantage in getting them off balance and then pounding them or taking them down. And that's one of the things that I like to work on in practices. Nice. Well, that bringing the three arts together brings things together nicely for the end. (laughs) (laughs) Good. So uh, thank you very much, Ken. That's been great having a chat with you and catching up after all this time. You too. I mean, we see each other on Facebook. I enjoy uh, keeping track and and, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, you're very funny on Facebook. <laughs> I try to be. You know, I went through a period where, where there was a, a yeah, through periods where I was like a lot of people on Facebook. But I decided that you know, I really try to live my philosophy and the philosophy of being centered and making a positive impact on people I touch. And Facebook really subverts that. It can. So I've tried a lot lately to live my philosophy online as well. Well, it's certainly working. I, I always get a, a chuckle on your <laughs> Facebook posts, especially about your wife, poor Nancy. Yeah, <laughs> she has a lot to put up with. Humor has been such a big part of my life. I, when I was a teenager, I thought the whole world was a Marx Brothers movie. And I was either <laughs> Groucho or Harpo. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I love making people laugh. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Ken. It's been Thank a pleasure. Thank you. It's good talking to you, Graham. And um, I'll be in touch soon. All right. Bye for now. Good luck. Thank you for joining us. You can find out more about the Tai Chi Notebook podcast at www.thetaichinotebook.com. You can support us by giving our podcast a positive review on iTunes and our page a like on Facebook. Just search for The Tai Chi Notebook to find us. Until next time, enjoy your training.